Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast, located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we are a community striving to be faithfully present to God, self, and others. We hope this is an encouragement to you in your life, no matter where you are. Thanks for joining us. All right, Redemption family, we are going to jump into the Word of God for today. I want to thank you if you're new here to Redemption. My name's Alex, and I'm one of the pastors. And most weeks out of the year, I have the privilege of preaching the gospel. Uh, right now, we are walking through the book of Acts. It's a large book about the birth of the early church as it expands from Jerusalem after the resurrection of Jesus, and it expands throughout the entire Roman Empire. We've been going through this book for well over a year. We've taken a couple breaks here and there along the way. We're in chapter 19, as you just heard read, all the way into the beginning of chapter 20 today. It's one long narrative, and the, the reason why we're going to cover all of this in one go is because if we break, break up the narrative, um, it just wouldn't make sense. It's a, it's a story that belongs as a whole unit. And so as we dive in, I just want to remind everyone here at Redemption what our vision is. Again, as we just continually put the vision before ourselves, our vision is simple, it's focused, it's birthed out of Scripture, and it's relevant to our present context. Redemption Church is striving to remain faithfully present in our relationship with God, self, and others. All right, so with that in mind, here's how we're going to cover this amount of Scripture today. Um, as you just heard Buggy read, she read the word. And so what I'm going to do is I'll summarize for a moment what's going on in this passage. And then I just want to point out three things. So first, a, a brief summary of Acts 19, the latter half. Uh, Paul has been traveling and preaching the gospel for quite some time in the country of Turkey. Primarily, he's hanging out in the city known as Ephesus. It's a major city, a trade city, a port city. It was an educated city. It was densely populated. It was a city that was primarily uh, focused on worshiping uh, the god Artemis, the, this goddess. And this goddess was the goddess of fertility. And so... In Ephesus, they had a tourist would travel from all over the world to worship in this particular temple. It was huge. It was one of these, uh, one of the ancient wonders of the world. Well, Paul and his team have been uh, effectively preaching the gospel. Luke records that the word of the Lord was going forward. That was Luke's way of saying the gospel was taking more ground. People were repenting of sin, forsaking their old way of life, and looking to Jesus, trusting Jesus for salvation. The Jewish carpenter from Nazareth is in fact the very son of the living God, and, the, and he has been resurrected from the dead. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. The Spirit has been poured out on his people, and so his people are responding with sharing the good news throughout the empire. Well, as the gospel goes forward, it's met with incredible hostility, both from unbelieving Jews as well as many that belong to Rome. And so in the last section of scripture that Mark Dunford preached last week, we saw people divulging their, their sorcery, their witchcraft, their pagan practices, burning books, forsaking an old way of life, and looking to Jesus, the true word of life. In this section today, we see the apostles uh, have stirred up what you see, like captioned, a riot in Ephesus. 
essentially more and more Christians are, or more and more people are converting to follow Jesus by tens of thousands are now following him here in Ephesus. And as they do, one man named Demetrius takes note going, oh my gosh, we have got to silence this gospel message coming out from Paul and his team. The reason being is because Demetrius, uh, a, a coppersmith, someone that made um, shrines and trinkets in, in honor of the goddess Artemis, he starts noticing, guys, we're losing business. People aren't coming to worship our pagan deity anymore. They're worshiping Jesus. So we've got to silence them. So he begins to instigate his friends in the guild and they're all going, yeah, we got to put an end to this. And they start getting more and more heated, more and more hysteria starts to take over and it spills out into the city street and then finally into the Colosseum, the, the Roman uh, theater in Ephesus, the Ephesian theater. And we can pull a picture of that up on the screen right now just to give you an idea of just how big this really was. This was a massive event filled with thousands of people, and they begin to chant, our, God, our goddess Artemis is great, and they're chanting and chanting and chanting and chanting, and they're working themselves up. Many, as Luke records, many are even confused, like, why are we even do this? Mass hysteria is happening. They put forward a man named Alexander to try to calm the crowd down, but Alexander is dismissed immediately, and they continue to chant, Artemis is great, our goddess is great. And as they do, another man stands up and begins to calm the people down and say, guys, ladies and gentlemen, listen. If you don't stop right now, this is gonna turn really ugly. And if it turns ugly in here, we don't just lose our goddess and don't just lose our, our jobs. We're about to lose our freedom. We belong to the Roman Empire. And if the Roman Empire charges us with rioting, we lose our freedom immediately. They will turn on us and they will dominate us. We belong to the empire, but they will the, the, the tables can turn very quickly. And essentially the the riot dies down and it ceases. That's what's going on. So what do we need to notice out of this passage today? Well, first, I want to point out um, this one thing that is said by about what Paul's message that he had been preaching. In verse 26, it says, And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not God's. One point I want to point out today is that God's made with hands are not God's. This sounds like all the things that you hear, like prophets like Isaiah calling out, you know, in, in some of the passages where he says, uh, where he rebukes the people saying, you cut down a tree and you cut it in half and you turn one half of it into firewood and the other half you carve and shape into a deity. <laughs> that's not your God. That's a tree. That's creation. And Paul is very much so leaning into his Old Testament and he's leaning into what he has experienced through the person and the work and the resurrection of Jesus. And he's going, listen, gods made with hands are not gods. They're not gods. Think about the things that we fashion with our hands. Gods made with hands 
are not gods. And oftentimes, like, especially in our day and age and our technology, we can instantly turn even our mobile phones into gods, searching endlessly for validation, searching endlessly for the next news update, searching endlessly for meaning or purpose or drive or direction or vision for life or meaning for existence even. And that might sound silly and go, I don't look in my phone for meaning. You might. You might. Gods made with hands are not gods. Things of creation are not intended to be in the place of the creator. A relationship, a job, a number in your bank account. Think about a, a, a amount of square footage in a home, the next new trinket, the next new gadget, the next new car, the next new, the thing, the thing, whatever that thing is. God's made with hands are not God's. And here's what I've learned to be true in my own life, and I'm certain that you've experienced by now. The moment we take something out of creation and put it into the place of the creator, that thing now becomes a slave master to us. What was once a good thing to be enjoyed in creation now dominates our time, now dominates our thought life, now dominates what we thought was Sabbath, now becomes a taskmaster to us. Gods made with hands are not gods. (sighs) And so in the good news of the gospel, God has not come to give us a list of rules and grind us down. No, the one true God has come to redeem us and to put all created things in their places. And some of those things are cut out entirely, and some of those things are not intended to be cut out, but simply stewarded as responses to God in the gospel. And so we simply surrender what we have in our hands, our money, our relationships, our technology. We surrender those things to the one true God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the next thing that I want to point out is this. At the very beginning of this passage, it says this. It says there at that time in verse 23, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. No little disturbance concerning the way. I want to mention this briefly. This is mentioned a few times in the book of Acts, but it is ever so important today. The early followers of Jesus, the earliest ones, were known as followers of the way. I want to call attention to the fact that Paul and his team and the early church was so abundantly clear in a society just like ours, a pluralistic society. Paul and the early believers were so crystal clear on the exclusivity of Christ alone for salvation. That when Paul presents Jesus to Ephesus, he does not present him as one of the many gods in the pantheon. Jesus is not just in competition or take it or leave it. Jesus is not on a, a, a level shelf. Take Buddhism, take, take Islam, take Judaism, take any new age religion, take any idea, any philosopher, any religious figure that's come along in world history. Paul does not put Jesus on an equal shelf with him and just go, take it or leave it, guys. It's whatever really you want. Paul doesn't present Jesus like that. Paul doesn't present Jesus as your homeboy. Paul doesn't present Jesus as uh, just a mere good moral teacher. God, uh, Paul doesn't present Jesus as a charismatic wisdom sage or a mere prophet. 
No, Paul has been abundantly clear and the early church is clear and the scriptures are crystal clear. Jesus alone is God. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine of Israel. I am the bread that's come down from heaven. I am the living water. On and on, Jesus continues to repeat, I'm it. There's no other savior, as Peter proclaims early in the book of Acts, that no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, that at the name of Jesus. There's no other name, no other savior coming for us. And some of us might respond and go, well, I wish all the ways worked. Don't bemoan the truth in that manner. Rather simply respond with the Christian posture of, I didn't deserve a savior to begin with. I didn't deserve hundreds, much less one, much less the only son of God. Paul picks it up and says, um, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, church, the one that goes between you and God is not merely a pastor, though pastors have a very important role, but a pastor's role does not serve as the mediator between you and God. That is only something that is done through the person of the Lord Jesus. And pastors and deacons and life group leaders and the body of Christ, the priesthood of believers, all surround that work of Jesus. And we call attention to that work of Jesus. We help facilitate and help work in the work of Jesus, but ultimately, the mediator between God and a human being is the God-man, Jesus Christ. Church, I wanna encourage you this week to recover awe and wonder in Jesus. And not only to recover an awe and wonder of him, I wanna encourage you in your boldness in evangelism, to tell your friends, to tell your coworkers, to tell your neighbors, to tell your family members that there is a God in heaven who is holy and righteous and just, and yet he is compassionate, merciful, and omnibenevolent. He is love, and he has made a way to reconcile us to himself through the person and the work of Jesus. I can't tell you how encouraged I am this week as a pastor. It's been an unbelievably long, coming up on a year, you know, and since we've been able to formally gather in any traditional sense. And I know it's, it, we've been doing this forever. It's long, it's tiring, we've been exhausted, we're weary with all kinds of things. But I wanna encourage you, church. God is working in our church. God is working. We're hiring new staff members and I'm having conversations with people in our church who are hungry to serve the poor, who are hungry to look outside of the church and go, who else can meet Jesus? These are real conversations I'm having. That's why I'm so excited today talking about this, going, yes, God is at work work. And so the last thing I want to encourage you with today is this. If you can go back, if you can, in, in your imagination, imagine yourself in Jerusalem in 33 AD. Imagine if you were there 
and Jesus comes up from the grave. As Jesus arises from the dead and comes out of the grave and you see him, you touch him as Thomas did. You have fish on the beach with him as the apostles did in John 21. You, you, you see Jesus in his glory. How would you respond? What would you do? What would you think like, talk like, pray like? How would you give? How would you serve? What would you do? What kind of prayers would you pray? I want to encourage you in that vision and in that manner today to respond to this as reality, that this is not mere ancient history and this is not just one philosophy. The one true God has acted in history and he's acting now in the local church through the person of the Holy Spirit coming through in the hands and the feet and the words and the lives of humble people who respond to Jesus and the gospel. And so church, as we close today, I want to remind you once more that Jesus loves you. That Jesus cares for you. That Jesus has not given up on you. That Jesus is not holding out for a new version of you in order to love later once you clean your act up. And also, Jesus doesn't merely love the old you that used to get it right all the time. Jesus loves you as you are, where you are. And because he is so good and so gracious, he's not going to leave you where you are. He's here now to work in you, on you, and through you for the glory of God and for the benefit of your neighbor. Thank you so much for listening. I love you, church.